Grab your Bibles if you would, turn to Galatians chapter 1. If you're having a blessed day, say amen. amen. All right, Galatians, the first chapter and the sixth verse. Last Wednesday, we began a series where we're going to kind of go through the letter that Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia, and we're going to talk through that and work through this letter verse by verse and see what uh, God is speaking to us through the words of the Apostle Paul. Last week, one of the things that we talked about that's really been touching my life and uh, that I've been uh, just been meditating on for the last week or so uh, is when Paul said, grace to you and peace from God the Father. And this is an interesting um, statement that Paul makes in nearly every one of his letters, either at the beginning or the end, and it's interesting because it's a combination of a Greek uh, greeting and a Jewish greeting. Uh, the Greek being peace, uh, grace to you, and the Jewish greeting being peace to you. And so Paul puts these together, but he always puts them in this order because to increase in grace, or to, excuse me, to increase in peace, we've got to increase in grace. Grace is the source of peace in our life. So we sow what we want to reap, right? Uh, so we sow, sow grace and we reap peace. And I've just been uh, practicing that in my life this week. I'm going to sow grace everywhere that I go. And if I want more peace and less strife, I want to sow more grace. Sound good to you? Galatians chapter 1 verse 6. We'll read a few verses here. Then we'll pray and we'll see what the word is going to say to us today. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received to him, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Father, we thank you for your presence that's in this room today. Thank you that we have the opportunity, the privilege, the joy to come in and to lift our hands and to worship you and to feel you all around us, oh God. Thank you for that. I ask that you would open up our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Speak to us today, God. Encourage us. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We pick up with Paul here in verse 6 as he is beginning to deal with, right off the bat, we touched on it last week, and now we're going to dive into it. As Paul is dealing with one of the main issues that he's writing to the church of Gal to churches of Galatia about, and he's dealing with this issue of a different gospel, of false doctrines. False doctrine is apparently a major problem that is running rampant as there are preachers or teachers going around through these different churches, and they are uh, they're sharing with others their own gospel, and it is at odds with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that Paul is preaching. And so Paul is going to address this right up front. He says in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon. 
you've already, you, you just got the message. You just got the gospel, which is also translated as the good news. You just got it, and now you're already turning it away. It's, if you read it in one verse, in the New Living, he says, I'm shocked. I just can't believe it that you're turning away already. Paul, in every other letter that he writes begins with some type of expression of thanks or praise in some way. He, he, he's always trying to connect with the church before he tears them down. <laughs> he builds them up and, and then, he, then he deals with the issue. But in this one, this is such a big issue for the Apostle Paul that he says, I don't even have time to thank you. So I'm going to dive right into the issue. I, I've got to get right to the heart of this thing because it shocked me. The issue is serious because they are turning from Christ to a different gospel. Now, watch what he says here in verse 6. You are turning away so soon from him to a different gospel. We have to remember that when we turn away from the gospel, we're not just turning away from a religion, but we're turning away from a person. The person of Christ. The gospel is known as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you're, it's, a, it's a person, it's a relationship. And when we turn away and we say, I'm, I'm no longer going to do that, we are literally rejecting a relationship with a person. And Paul wants you to recognize this. He says, you're turning from a person to a false idea, to a false doctrine, to an incorrect conclusion. You're turning from a person to something else. Then he says, you're, you're turning away from grace. You're not turning towards grace. You're, you're not being grateful for the grace, but you're turning away from it to a different gospel. And Paul is shocked by this. Verse 7, he gives us three facts about this different gospel uh, that were, was brought to the Galatians. Watch here, verse 7. Which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Three facts. Number one, it's an illegitimate gospel. He says, which is not another. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Number two, it's not good at all, but it simply brings trouble. There are people bringing trouble. They trouble you. And number three, it is, it is a distortion of the true gospel. He says they are wanting to pervert the gospel of Christ. Let's break these down. Do you want to? All right. First, he said it's an illegitimate gospel. It, it, it's uh, it, it's another it's it's something different what he's saying here is that that there are people going around teaching and and their defense of their doctrine of their gospel is is this paul has his gospel and we have ours he has his truth and his message and we have our truth and our message but ours is just as good as his but in reality, Paul is going to tell them, listen, there's only one truth. There's not multiple truths. There's one truth when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if you're preaching something other than this, it's illegitimate. It's, it's different. It's not even the same. It's not even the good news. He's saying, guys, there are people that are claiming to bring you an alternate gospel of the same kind, but really it's no gospel at all. It's not good, good news. If you're selling anything else, it's not good news. Why? Because it only leads to destruction. So think about this. The only way to God is through Jesus. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the what? Okay, so he's the way, he's the truth, all these things, right? He is the way. There is no other way. Christianity oftentimes gets uh, a rap for being uh, intolerant. And at times we, are very, uh, we can be a very judgmental and intolerant people. But you have to understand that the core of Christianity is an intolerance. There's only one way. Now it shouldn't be reflected in our love for people, our compassion for people, our heart for people, uh, all those things. But you have to understand, I can't say Christ is the only way and then turn around and say, but you can get there through Muhammad too. So innate in Christianity is this intolerance that there is only one way. And I will love you and respect you. We can be friends. Uh, we can work together. We can uh, live life together to some degree. But you have to know that the only way that I believe, the only gospel I believe in is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other truth. So anything else is illegitimate. Anything else is just wrong. And it leads you to destruction. There's only one way. So then he says, there are some who trouble you. This is the second fact. Those who brought the other gospel to the Galatians literally brought them trouble. It was troubling the churches. It was bringing division. It was causing confusion. Do, do division and confusion and misunderstanding and misleading, do those sound like words that refer to God or refer to the enemy? So Paul says they're bringing you trouble. Maybe they don't mean to. May, they're not advertising their message as trouble, but that's exactly what it is. You see, false gospels don't just happen. People bring them. People develop them, uh, come up with them, create them, however they do it, and they bring them to others. False doctrines don't just happen. And these people might be sincere, and they may have lots of charisma, but it is still a false doctrine. And it'll still lead you to destruction and lead you to trouble. Pastor Renan, they're just so sincere about it. And they're so convincing. True. But here's the thing about being deceived. If you knew you were being deceived, you wouldn't be deceived. They wouldn't call it deceit if you knew it was going on. And so Paul is saying, guys, you have to understand something here. You're being deceived and you don't even know it, so I have to shine a light on it. Well, then he gets to the third thing. He says they're here to pervert the gospel of Christ. The other gospel that he's speaking of here was really a perversion or a distortion of the truth of the gospel. It didn't start from scratch. They didn't make up a new name for God and pretending to have some new miraculous savior. No, 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 no. They were using the truths of Christianity, but intertwining them with their own doctrines and their own beliefs and their own message. This is why, uh, even today, there are many, many false doctrines out there. And they can be so confusing to Christians all over this nation and the world. Because you have men who, and women who seem to be sincere... They seem to love God. They seem to know what they're talking about. And then they're pre preaching a message that sounds so similar to what you've heard all of your life. And what you know to be the truth. But they just put their own flair to it. And, and we come to this place where we think, well, this A is true. And B is true. And C is true. So D must be true. 
and we buy into their deception, we buy into the false doctrine because it looks and smells similar to what we believe, but maybe it's just a better version. Just a better version. It's not that it's that different. It's not that they're coming with, up with something out of left field. Uh, these, these men were using names and ideas familiar to, to the Galatian Christians. But they slightly twisted the ideas, making their message more deceptive. It's easy to fall for. And it's happening all the time. It's happening all the time. I encourage you to be a student of the Word of God. You should know that. I encourage you to, I encourage you to study. I encourage you to read your Word. I encourage you to read the writings of other people. But I also encourage you to know who you're reading and who you're listening to. With the invention of the internet and the expansion of Google and everything else, you can find so much information at your fingertips. And we have this preconceived idea that if I read it in writing, it must be true. It's not your fault. All of your life, when you spent time studying, you read something out of a book, and if it said it in the book, remember when you were going to school? Whatever the book said was the right answer. Okay, so you didn't get here on your own. This is the way we do things in America. It's, it's, put, it's programmed into us even as a child. You believe that when you read it in this Bible, it is the truth, right? So this is programmed into us, but when we reflect that onto the internet where anybody can write anything about anything and say it's the truth and say it's a fact and it doesn't mean anything, it's a very dangerous thing. I encourage you to be a reader. I encourage you to be a studier, but I encourage you to know who you're reading and studying because they can sound so good and be so wrong all at the same time. Can I get an amen? Now I want you to watch how serious Paul is about this. I'm going to read these two verses again because he is, he's just serious. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Then he's going to say it again, just so you're clear on how serious I am about this issue. Verse 9, as we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have perceived, let him be accursed. Paul is serious about this subject. Let a curse come upon the man who preaches a doctrine, a false doctrine, and pulls men and women of God, away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's serious. You say, well, Pastor Randon, where is the love in all of this? You know, where, where is it? He, said he wants to curse people? That's pretty serious. I mean, where is the forgiveness and the grace? Well, you have to understand how Paul is viewing this thing. Paul is full of love when he writes this statement. But his love is for the sinner. His love is is for the man and woman of God who are being deceived. His love is for you and I. And so here's what he says. Imagine it like this. We're all out and, and, and we go on a three-hour tour with Gilligan. And our boat capsizes and we're all floating out in the ocean. Or let's say that all of you are. <laughs> and two rescue ships come up. And you go swimming towards them. 
And, and everybody on this side goes swimming to the boat on the right, and everybody on this side goes swimming to the boat on the left. But what I know is the boat on the left is wired with dynamite and is set to blow. The boat on the right is safe. The boat on the left, on my left, everybody's going to blow up if you get on it. I want you to be saved. And I loved you enough to tell you that boat's going to blow up. And if you get on that boat, you might as well stay in the water because it's going to end up in the same place. So please don't get on the boat that's loaded with dynamite. The love that Paul has is the same way. Here's what he's saying. On one hand, so we're all out floating in, in the ocean, hoping for survival, needing rescue. On one hand, we have a ship uh, of salvation, and it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the other hand, you have this other boat that is this false doctrine that looks like a boat and it smells like a boat and it, and, it's, and it sounds like a boat. But what you don't know is that they're deceiving you and the boat's going to blow in just a minute. So if you follow these other preachers, you're going to end up in destruction. So Paul's love is, is saying, guys, please hear me. Get on this boat over here. Get on the right ship. I know you can't see it. And I know you don't understand it, but you're going to have to trust me. Get on this boat over here. And that's Paul's love. Believing in a false gospel that offers salvation will cause you to end up in the same place as if you had never believed at all. Believing the wrong thing is as bad as not believing at all. Verse 10. Do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? You see, Paul understood that God is my audience. I'm not trying to persuade God. I'm trying to please God. I am his bondservant. I have no choice. I just have to speak what he tells me. I have to do what he tells me. You see, these other people, their gospel was built to please men. But Paul's gospel was built to please God. It was from God. It was built to please God, not to build, built to please man. So we got to be careful that 2,000 years later, we do not believe, follow, or teach a gospel that is built to be pleasing to man, but rather follow the true gospel that's built to be pleasing, that was built by God so that it would please him. They're out there. They look similar. They sound similar. They're just a better version, seemingly. Now let's go to verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor as I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's watch here. It was not according to man. I, Paul didn't get this revelation from man. God revealed it to Paul himself. It's not man's, this revelation is not man's attempt to reach up and understand God, but it's God's effort to bow down uh, and communicate with man. It's coming from the wrong, the other direction, you see. When it's created by man, it's reaching up and trying to understand God as we want to understand Him. But for Paul, he understood that this revelation is God reaching down to man and communicating with man about who He is and the grace that He is. So it's a, it's a different direction. If the, if the gospel came from man as a human intervention, it's the most dangerous lie in the world. You see, Christi Christianity is the largest religion in the world. But what if we're wrong and the Muslims are right? Think about the impact of the gospel. Just think about it for a moment. 
Christianity is the largest religion on the planet. Several billion people call themselves Christians. But what if Christianity was wrong? Muhammad is right. All the Islams, all the Muslims, all those, the Islamic people and Muslim people, they're all going to heaven. Now we have all been believing and buying into and selling this thing called Christianity and it's a lie. You see, you have to understand that if, if this whole thing was just made up by man, it's the most dangerous lie in the world and it could cause the destruction of every single one of us. Forget the throughout history, just that are on the planet right now. But the good news is, it's not a lie. The good news is we know the truth. The good, the good news is Jesus Christ is the way and the truth. And so we're trusting in Him and we're knowing in Him and we're believing in Him. That's the good news. So we don't want to get caught up in a lie that came from a man, but believe the gospel that came from God Himself. You see, the, the, one of the things that separates Christianity is that it didn't come from a man. It didn't come from Gandhi. It didn't come from Muhammad. It didn't come from Joseph Smith or many others, uh, supposed men of God who created their own religion. No, no, no. Our beliefs, our words, our Bible came from God himself via his son, Jesus. And that's what separates, that's what separates Christianity. That's why I know it to be the truth. That's why I trust in it, because it's the only religion where our leader, our king, our savior literally died because they all died, but he rose again. <clears throat> For I neither received it from men, nor was I taught, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. You'll remember in Acts chapter 9, Paul, who was known as Saul of Tarsus at the time, is riding along on his donkey, headed to uh, Damascus, and a bright light shines out of heaven, and God begins to speak to him. Jesus begins to speak to him. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul says, who in the world are you? Lord, who, who am I persecuting? I don't even know. And, and Jesus responds to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. In this moment, it wasn't a man who saved Paul. It wasn't a really, really good preacher who finally got through to him. It was Jesus. Jesus revealed himself and thus giving Paul this revelation. So Paul's saying, I didn't get it from anyone else. I got it from God himself. I got it firsthand. In this scripture, and when you put a couple of other scriptures together, uh, down in the, in, the, in the next few verses, 16, 17, and 18, you find that for about three years, Paul spent in the desert or in Arabia. Now, there's some uh, questions about how far out in the desert he was, whether he was just outside of the town or whether he was in, out in the wilderness. But one way or another, we know that, that Paul spent about three years in the wilderness as God spoke to him. As a matter of fact, uh, Ryan, can you grab for me First uh, Corinthians chapter 11, um, verse... Uh, I don't know, 23 or so, 22, something like that. Let me see here, I got it right here. Verse 23. Watch what Paul writes. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. This is Paul writing. He's about to talk about 
the, the night where Jesus partook of the Last Supper with his disciples, who does he say that he received it from? The Lord. Was Paul at the meal? No. But somewhere along the way, in the sovereignty of God, as Paul was working through this deal and receiving revelation from God, God spoke to him, and, and as Paul writes, he's writing this as if he was there. He wasn't there, but Christ took him back through it so that when he wrote it, he wrote it as having received it from God. This is the, this is the gospel that Paul taught. He didn't get it from man, he got it from God himself. He got it from the Lord. I received from the Lord. All right, let's skip down to verse 15 now. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and, womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer, confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Remember I said he went away for three years. Verse 18 says, then after three years I came to Jerusalem. He wasn't conferring with Peter. He wasn't conferring with James and John. They weren't teaching him the ways. No, no, no. He was out there receiving from Christ himself. All right. I want you to note in verse 15, when it pleased God. Paul didn't come when any man decided, but he came at God's pleasure. He didn't come when Peter decided, I am tired of this guy Saul as he is destroying and persecuting the Christians. We're going after him and we're going to do whatever it takes to convince him of the, of the reality of Christ. No, no, no. Paul came when it pleased the Lord. Paul came when God said, now is your time. No one convinced Paul it took Christ himself. When Christ reveals himself to a man, he can't be denied. You see, if you've been struggling to convince someone, if you've been trying and praying about the exact words to say to someone that they might be saved, I, I say continue to do that. Continue to do everything that God speaks. But you've got to know at some point, when God decides it's time and He decides to reveal Himself, He won't take words from you because God can do it on His own when He gets ready to. And no man can deny when God reveals Himself. Saul was the worst of the worst, and yet God touched him in just one moment and changed everything. Be encouraged, for when it pleases God, the people you're praying for will come to know him. Watch this now, he says, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me. Note this word separated here. Find this, I wonder if when Paul wrote this, he was almost mocking himself a little bit. Because the word separate here is an almost identical Greek word to the one that is used to refer to the Pharisees. The Pharisees called themselves the separated ones. Paul right here says, it was God who separated me. Now the thing about the Pharisees was, they separated themselves from men. As if they were separating themselves to God, but they were never really separated to God. But Paul says, okay, I thought I was separated to God, but now I realize on the backside that now, from my birth, he really separated me from God, to God. Uh, I, I, thought, I thought I was separating myself to God, but really all I was doing was separating myself from man. 
Isolating yourself from the people of this world does not necessarily mean that you are bringing yourself closer to God. Isolating yourself from men and women of God does not necessarily mean that you are in a position where you are now closer to God. But the reality is God has a way of drawing on us and pulling on us. Paul was as much or more, uh, all, he, was, he was always talking with sinners and dealing with sinners and preaching the gospel. He was always finding himself getting whipped and punished and beaten and shipwrecked. And yet in all of that, he said, he separated me unto him. So we have to remember that our separation unto God is not about who all is around us, but rather it's about who we're looking to. Are we looking to God? He said, it happened from my mother's womb. So here's a reality that, that Paul has come to, and I want to share it with you. His reality is suddenly that God had planned this thing all along. From my mother's womb, God planned and he separated me. Before I had a chance to do anything to deserve it, to deserve the calling, to deserve to be an apostle, to deserve to be able to preach, to deserve the grace, before I even had a chance to do anything to deserve it, God called me and he separated me. How about this? Before I ever had a chance to do anything to disqualify myself, he called me and he separated me. It reminds me of the scripture in Romans chapter 11 where he said, the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. They're without repentance. Why? Because God saw the end and the beginning at the same time. God didn't give up on his plan for Paul. He's not going to give up on his plan for you. He's not going to give up on his plan for your family. Despite the facts of your circumstances, God called us while we were still in our mother's womb. This is the reality that Paul is seeing. Think about this in Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9 and 10. Isaiah 46, verse 9 and 10. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Watch this. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Remember, remember Paul wrote, but when it pleased God. Here's what Paul recognized. God declared the end from the beginning. So before he even began, he went to the end and he looked at what he needed. And he looked what was happening in the earth. What would happen in the thousands of years after uh, Christ's day. And he said, I need a man. And he chose a man by the name of Paul. He looked at Paul's life. And he said, well, he's going to be a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's going to be a zealot. He is going to persecute Christians. He is going to do all these things against me. He, he is going to be actively trying to destroy my kingdom. But I can use him. He's the exact right guy. So then God says, seeing all that... Knowing everything that is Paul's life, every decision that he was going to make, everything. Then he went back to the, the beginning and he declared the end. He declared the end. He didn't worry about the stuff in the middle. God doesn't even recognize the stuff in the middle. What does he say? He declared the end from the beginning. 
But the devil wants to deal with the stuff in the middle, right? He wants to remind us of all the sin. He wants to remind us of all the junk. He wants to remind us of all the reasons why we can't. What we have to remind him is the beginning and the end. In the beginning, God saw me, and he called me, and he separated me, and he saw the end of my life. He saw the end result of what he could do through me. And even though I've messed all this stuff up, just like Paul, he saw the end in the beginning. He's not worried about the middle because he declared the end from the beginning. How many of you think that sounds good about your life? Thank you, God, for not holding me to the, my feet to the fire for all the junk I messed up in the middle. But you keep remembering my end. So God went back to Paul's beginning and separated him in spite of his choices. Why? Because it pleased him. He said in Isaiah, my counsel shall stand. What I said I'll do, it's going to happen. And I will do all my pleasure. Paul was one of those pleasures. When it pleased God, you're one of those pleasures. You're one of those pleasures. Your loved ones that you're still believing for, they're one of those pleasures. And they might be caught up in the middle right now. But God declared their end before the beginning. Then he said, who called me through his grace. I'm reminded of when he wrote in 2 Corinthians where he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace, the reason his grace was sufficient for Paul is that God wasn't surprised by all the decisions that Paul made in his life. Think about this. His grace never runs out because Paul saw, uh, God saw everything that Paul was and everything that he was going to do. And he said, I'm going to make sure I get enough grace in Paul's life that he can never outrun it. He can never outlive it. He can never outlast it. But there's always enough grace. So when he's ready to turn back to me, I'm there for him. Think about this in your life. If he knows your end before your beginning, and then he says, my grace is sufficient for you. It's because he knows everything, and he's made sure to give you enough. Have you ever been to a birthday party or a party of some kind, and more people than they expected showed up, and they ran out of food, and they ran out of Dr. Pepper and everything else? And now it's just awkward because everybody's hungry, and, and they're all fighting over the crumbs in the bottom of the bowl? That didn't happen to God and with you. It didn't happen like that. He knew it all. He knew you when you'd say yes, and he knew when you'd say no. He knew when you would pass the test, and he knew when you would fail the test. He knew when you would sin, and he knew when you would push away temptation. And yet in all of that, hear me, God said, I'm going to make sure i got plenty of grace. Whatever they might need, let me just go ahead and give a little bit more so that I can be sure when I say my grace is sufficient for you, that really is sufficient for you. As a matter of fact, then he goes on and he says, in fact, his power is made perfect in your weakness. So we think I can't because of my past, because of my failures, because of my weaknesses. God is saying, actually, you can because of your past and your failure and your weakness through my grace and my power. You, you can. The thing that you thought would disqualify you, would disqualify you actually qualified you for grace and power. The thing that the enemy is saying, because of this, you can't. God is saying, because of that, you actually can. 
thank God that he had a good plan and his grace is enough. He saw my end and he went back to the beginning and he called me. And he won't repent or revoke the giftings and the callings he placed on my life. He's not sorry for separating me to himself because my story's not over. And there's no reason to repent for God because your story's not over either. There's no reason to revoke it. He didn't call us because we were so good, nor did he call us because uh, we were so bad. No, he called us because of his grace, because it pleased him. A while back, I had the opportunity to do some work for an organization. Uh, and it seemed like everybody that did work for this organization uh, got paid, except for me. And I worked really hard, too. And I did a good job, if I do say so myself. And I worked really hard. And I didn't get paid. Uh, and some of the men I was working with, one of, one of the men that I was working with came to me and he wrote me a check. Out of, out of his payment, he wrote me a check. And he said, I want you to take this. Man, I'm not taking your money. I don't need that. It's not, it's, it's not necessary. I'm good. God's blessed me. I'll sow it as a seed. My time, I can sow that as a seed. It's all, I'm all good. Uh, people were blessed and that's enough for me. And he said, no, 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 no. I want you to take this. It will make me happy. It will give me pleasure. To see you rewarded for the time that you spend, the energy and the effort, the time away from your family. So I want to reward you. It pleases me. And I realized, wow, if it pleases him, I'm going to take it. I'm trying to get out of debt and this will help. <laughs> it wasn't tons. Maybe it wasn't as much as I deserved. But when I understood that it really gave him pleasure, he wasn't doing it because he felt like he had to. He wasn't doing it because he was under pressure. No, he did it because it brought him pleasure. So, the same thing is with, with God when I realize that living my life and, and living my life according to his purposes, according to the calling that he's placed on me brings him pleasure, then I want to do it. And I'll take his grace. If you're giving it to me and, you, and it gives you pleasure to give me more grace, more power, more strength, then Lord, I'll take it. As long as you receive pleasure for, for it because... It's not about me, God. It's about you. Let's go back to this statement, and we're, and we're coming to a close here. When it pleased God, I believe, my father and I were having this conversation the other day, I believe that God is working on every human on the planet. And they have a time coming. This is my belief, that their time may not have come yet, and they may not have said yes yet, but I believe that every person, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is working on every person. I believe that at some point, He's working on softening their heart and putting them in position to hear from Him that He might reveal Himself to them. When Paul's time came, it changed everything. Don't give up. If you're praying for your loved ones, for your friends, for your family, for your co-worker, don't give up. When it's their time, God will get their attention. Watch how it changed Paul before he was a Christian, as he describes his life before Jesus. Here's the words that he uses. I persecuted. I tried to destroy. I advanced in Judaism. I was more zealous than any other. Notice the key word, I. Before Jesus, it was all about Paul. 
It was all about his desires. It was all about his wants. It was all about his needs, his plans, his dreams. It was all about him. But something shifts. After Christ, God separated me. God called me. God revealed his son in me. It was God's grace. When you recognize all the thing that God has done for us, when you get this revelation that Paul had about declaring his end before his beginning and separating him even in his mother's womb before he had a chance to deserve it or a chance to disqualify himself, when you get all this, Paul suddenly realizes it's not even about me. It's about God. My life exists to glorify God. It shifted. It shifted from Paul getting the glory to God getting the glory. Verse 23 and 24 is, we end this chapter. But they were hearers only. Who f he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God in me. Notice they didn't glorify Paul. They glorified God in me. I, I want that to be said of my life. That you would glorify God in me. That somehow through my life, God doesn't just reveal himself to me, but he reveals himself in me. That through me, you might glorify God. Not me. This is not a, oh, look how wonderful the preacher is. Look how wonderful the pastor is. No, no, no. It's look how wonderful God is. Look how great God is. And as men and women of God, as Christians, as believers who look to men of God and uh, who are taught, uh, the Bible teaches to honor them uh, and, and to even give double honor to, to some. We, we must always remember that the glory goes to God. You see, I can honor you and you can honor me, but the glory belongs to God. Because glory and honor are two different things. Make sure the glory goes to God in your life. Don't be pulling it to yourself. Don't be trying to get other people to look at you, but make sure that they're looking at God. They glorified God in Paul. Does God get the glory in your life? I hope so. Don't take what belongs to him. Let me ask you a few questions as we close here. Are you believing a gospel that promises things it can't deliver? Is it a gospel aimed at pleasing man or pleasing God? Is it a gospel created by men so that we might interact with a God the way that we want to, the way that we think would work best? Have we created this new God that does things at our whim? Are we following the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Number two, have you recognized God's plan to separate and call you according to his grace despite your weakness? He knew he knew all about our lives. He knew all about our strengths and our weaknesses, our failures and our successes. He knew, and then he went back to the beginning and he chose us anyway. Your weakness actually perfects his power. Have you recognized that? Number three, do you live a life that gives glory to God? Is your life about what he is doing or about what you are doing? Make sure that everything in your life points back to Jesus. And then finally, are you believing that God is going to reveal himself to someone in your life? I want to pray with you tonight and believe together with you that their time is coming. Paul had a time. You had a time. I believe that those you're praying for have a time also. Would you stand with me?
Have you learned anything from the Word of God tonight? Aren't you glad that God declared your end from the beginning? It's not over. It's not over. Father, I thank you that we have access to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That when your son came, he gave us the words, they are spirit and they are life. We receive those tonight. Father, we don't want to be a people who are pulled aside or pulled astray by man's doctrines, by false doctrines that seem right but are really deceiving us and causing us to fall into destruction. Father, we want to follow after your words, your truth. We want to follow after the word of God. Lord, I'm praying for those in this room that are caught up in the middle of our lives. I'm praying that you would remind us of our end and you would remind us that you called us and separated us from the beginning. That, Father, our life is not over. Our opportunity is not over. But, Lord, your will can still be done in our life if we'll just turn to you. Father, I thank you for your grace that is sufficient for everything. When we think we're going to run out, Father, you had more grace planned for us. You had enough for every moment, for every mistake. I thank you, Father, for that in the name of Jesus. Father, let there be a release of grace into us. And as the enemy tries to come against us and lie to us and tell us that God can't forgive us for this and God won't forgive us for that and it's too much and we've gone too far, Father, I am just releasing a word of grace right now. Your grace is enough. Father, I'm asking you to help us and give us the courage and the strength to be people who glorify you, who everything in our life points back to you and not to ourselves. Father, our words would point to you, our life would point to you, that you would have all of the glory. And Lord Jesus, finally, I'm praying for those in this room who have loved ones, who have friends, who have co-workers, who have families, who have people that they're praying and believing for. Lord, let their time come. Reveal yourself to them. I know that you can. If you did it for Saul 2,000 years ago, I believe that you can do it for any person on earth, Lord God. If you got him, the worst of the worst, you can touch our friends. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.